Welcome to episode 212 of the Diecast Movie Podcast. We are a movie lovers podcast. We do movie discussions where the genre of the movie is decided by the role of a die, and we also do interviews. This episode is a movie discussion about the documentary Hoop Dreams. Our regular host, Stephen, is joined by our guest, Dan Day Jr. Dan runs the Hitless Wonder movie blog. He was also on episode 84 when we talked about Dune from 1984. Now, on to the discussion of Hoop Dreams. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. The movie we discussed is decided by the role of a die, and today we roll documentary, and I'm joined with a guy that's been with us before, and we talked about the original Dune movie, none other than Dan Day Jr. How you doing, sir? Pretty good. Now, you rolled documentary, and what movie did you pick? I picked probably, well, I'm going to say, yeah, it is my favorite documentary of all time. Uh, the 1994 Hoop Dreams, very critically acclaimed film. And I am a sports fan, and it is ostensibly a sports film, but honestly, I think it's much more than that. I think it's an American film. It's more of an American story than a sports story. Oh, I agree with you there, and um, and that kind of stuff. And before we delve into the movie, what's been up with you and your blog? Ah, the Hitless Wonder movie blog, yes. Well, uh, actually, I just wrote a blog post today on Frank Dello Stritto's new book, The Patron Saints of the Living Dead, which is uh, continues his series of what I call the Strittoverse, for lack of a better term. Uh, which he takes all these uh, various famous movie characters and starts doing a uh, or starts telling a story as if these characters and their actions actually actually happened. It, it's just fantastic stuff. I, I love Frank's work in this series, and then the book is a continuation of that. It's about the living dead, zombies, voodoo, but it it doesn't deal with the zombies of the George Romero era. Or the, or the Lucio Fulci era, so it's not those type of zombies. It's more, more, more classic, you know, old school monster movie type of zombies, which, which I have no problem with. But it, it, it's a great book, and that I just actually wrote that uh, review this morning. So, yeah, Frank was on the show earlier this year, and we talked about the, the classic zombie movies, White Zombie, and I Walked with the Zombie, and uh, leading up to Monster Bash, that was this past June. And uh, Frank was there doing the presentation and talked about the classic zombie movies on our show. And then this presentation dovetailed with that. And um, I bought the book from Frank. I've read the book. It's, as you said, it's an excellent book. And if you want, and listeners, if you want to get Frank's book, cultmoviespress.com. Cultmoviespress.com. You can go there. All Frank's books are there, there. You're dealing directly with him. So that way you're supporting the creator and everything there. It's, it's one of those nice things when you know the person that wrote the book is the one you're dealing with. Yeah. And, and they're, they're, they're great-looking books. They're very well-designed. They're very well put together. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not something off the cuff. You know, like a lot of people think, oh, independent books, you know, those ones that get printed on demand and things like that. No, no, this is, this is a real definite novel, one you want to keep, you know, you don't want to, like, lay – just leave laying around and get, get all dirty or anything. This is, this is a very nice looking book. And it's, as you said, it's a good read and it goes with some of his other books that he's taking with um, um, his take on those classic movies 
um, monster movies, horror films, and made them his own and that kind of thing. Because this is the fourth one. I think there was A Werewolf Remembers is yeah, another so one. Yeah, A Werewolf Remembers, uh, Carl Denham's Giant Monsters, and I, The Passion of the Mummy. I believe those are the three other titles. Yeah, and then he has three of them, which are um, nonfiction, which are basically um, what it's like for a monster kid growing up and that kind of yeah. stuff and, and doing those. So you can get... So you get all seven of his books, and he has, explains them all at caughtmoviespress.com. Well, I, mm-hmm. feel like, I feel like I'm doing an infomercial for Frank, but it's only because I really enjoy those books. <laughs> he owes us now. <laughs> no, he doesn't. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, so Hoop Dreams, like I said, this was – it actually was made over a period of years. There, It's – about two young African-American males, William Gates and Arthur Agee, who are living in Chicago in the late 1980s and the early 1990s. Uh, the, the director, the main director is Steve James, and one of his producers, editors is Frederick Marx, and Peter Gilbert did the camera work. He was credited as a director of photography, and he basically ran the camera the whole time. And this, this whole project took a long time because, number one, they were following William Gates and Arthur Agee through their high school years. But also, the whole time they were doing this, they were trying to raise money to complete the project. So it was like one of those, you know, on-off type of things. Now, when you watch the movie, you don't, you don't sense that at all. Uh, as you mentioned, it's three hours. That may put off some people. But honestly... This, like I said, this is one of my favorite films ever made. When you watch it, you get so much into it, you don't even notice it's three hours. Every, every time I do watch it, when it does get to the end, I, I, I kind of like, that's it. <laughs> even though I, I know that's it, I've seen it before, but you, you just want more. And when you, that it, it, it's, it just draws you in so much that you don't even think about it being three hours. You almost feel like there, there's more to the story that, that needs to be told. And I think everybody that's watched the film always wants to know what happened to him after the film, you know, like years mm-hmm. later, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so you, you, you get so in touch with their relationships with their families and their friends and their careers that you just, and, and them, you, you just you really want to know what, what happened to him. What, I want more. You want more. See, you're right. It's, it's almost three hours long, yet you want more. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think I'll talk about what happened to him maybe later on. We'll get into the, you know, yeah. get into more of the movie first. But the both these guys, William Gates and Arthur Agee, are, are they're basketball players. And at the beginning of the film, you find out William Gates is going to a a Catholic school outside of in the Chicago suburbs. I believe it was called St. Joseph's, and this is a school that was very renowned for its sports program. Arthur Agee is trying to get into St. Joseph's. Both, both families, the Gates family and the Agee family, they don't have a lot of money. And they're, they're dealing with a lot of personal issues. And William Gates is a year older than Arthur Agee. He is considered one of the, at that time, he was considered one of the big prep Chicago high school prospects. So he's considered a star on the rise. Arthur Agee, like I said, is a year younger. He, he went, you know, He's a basketball player, but he's not really, shall we say, He's, he's not really known yet. He's, he's still, you know, building toward a career. And as the movie goes along, you, you, you see that their, their paths sort of intersect and, and go different ways. William Gates gets injured. He has some problems with his team, his coach, 
and his uh, status starts to fall off a bit. Now, Arthur Agee, he doesn't qualify to get into St. Joseph's. Right? I think he did, but he, he his family didn't have enough money. He didn't have enough grades. So he goes to a Chicago inner city high school, which is considered something of a letdown. But actually what happens is he becomes a leader of that team's basketball program and they go to the state finals. So William Gates starts to fall down a bit. Arthur Agee starts to rise a little bit. And that that's the sort of, you know, the, the main story throughout the film, but it, it's not just, a, like I said, it's not just a sports movie. I, I know people might out there be thinking, well, I don't care about basketball. I don't like sports, but it, it, it's an American story. It's, it's a story about what these young men have to go through. The, the, the financial problems, the emotional problems that, that they have to deal with. It, it's something that I think, obviously I'm not a, a young African-American. I wasn't in that type of environment, but I think anybody, you know, can, can relate to certain things that are going on in, in this film. And, you know, my point on my, my feelings about a documentary, and you can even have a discussion of what, what does define a documentary. Uh, some people might say, well, this isn't a documentary. This is propaganda. Well, I, I don't, well, number one, I don't think Hoop Dreams is any type of propaganda. It's a very observational film. It, 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 it gives you the story, presents you the story of these young men, but it doesn't, obviously it's edited a certain way, but it, it, it's not, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out what I want to say here. It, it doesn't force you to think certain things. I think it, it lets the audience watch what you're seeing and it lets you go along and it, it, it doesn't go into your face about what it wants you to think about. And there are certain documentaries, and you know what I'm talking about, that it, you, you know exactly, even before you watch the movie, what the documentary is going to entail. We, you know, it, it, it's presented in a certain manner. This film, obviously, they want you to be sympathetic toward these two young men, but it, it's not forcing you to be. It, it's presenting you what, what's going on in their lives and how things develop for them. And that's how it draws you in. It's not like, oh, you got to love these guys. You got to feel sorry for these guys because of their situation. No, it, it shows you what, what they go through and, and what's going on around them. And you, you develop a, a sense of sympathy for them through the movie, not because the movie wants you to. Now, before we get more into the movie, I, I want to talk a little more about Steve James and the concept. From what I've been able to read and watch in interviews that he's done um, in the past, it's basically the way this, this whole movie progressed. And if people, if you look into Wikipedia, you'll see some of his different stories, but if you also like, you can look up his interviews, but in a nutshell, they pitched it as a 30 minute film because they had a very low budget and they wanted to do it on yeah. film. And mm -hmm. it was going to be a 30 minute thing where they were going to follow what was happening on one particular court. They were going to talk, to, you know, get, get some ideas, some rising people, um, the, the basketball, get some uh, thoughts about people that had had the dream, but what happened to them. And it was going to be like a half hour to an hour, you know, cause he said a half hour, but it could have went longer. And they had, um, a, a person named Earl who was a, like a kind of an unpaid scout. scout, so to speak. He, yeah. he worked in an insurance thing, but he just, just wanted to help young men get out of these areas and get a chance to have that education and that chance to, improved themselves, whether it was to get an MBA dream or just to get a, a good high school education or college education. That was his main goals from what, the, what the movie shows us. And uh, the first court they went to with Earl 
had R for AG there. And Earl pointed, it was pointing, saying stuff out, which is in the film. Like, man, he's got a quick first step. That's the fastest first step I've seen in five years and this kind of stuff. And the filmmakers were then taken with Arthur to go to St. Joseph's when he was doing his in Earl to um, have his a tryout type thing, They'd like to see whether or not he'd be good. And that's yeah. when they found that about William Gates because of the coach there, Gene, was talking about, like, oh, there's this other guy who's like, to me, he's like the next Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah Thomas was also coached by Gene at St. Joseph's. And that's when they, they decided to change the film to focus on these two stories, because you know, and and um, let's see how they go. The, the theory was, well, we'll focus on these two guys, and we'll have at least one story, you know. But then they, yeah. they got to develop it and learn about them, and that's how they went. Steve James also talked about his style as the, as a documentarian, and um, he does the observational styles you said, but he also doesn't do it where he's the fly on the wall looking at it. He actually asks questions or talks to people, gets to know the people because he feels one, yeah. it's more fun for him and it makes for it more interesting and everybody gets more relaxed because they get to know him, the crew and all that stuff. So over these years, he's developing these relationships with them. And when you watch the film, as Dan already brought up about the budgetary issues, they were constantly trying to get money. And um, they really got it when the boys were going into their junior year. So the freshman and sophomore years, they don't have as much footage. They only had 25 days of filming, where the rest of it they were able to film for 100 days because they had the budgetary increase. So that's why when you watch the film, you'll see the freshman year and the sophomore year go relatively fast. And also it's more of a question type thing where he's asking questions to get stuff because he's developing those relationships. Exactly. He's basically setting up, you know, both families situations and, and it, it's, it carries forward from that. Yeah. And that, so when you think, when you see the sophomore year end, as he was telling people before they're, they're showing this one film, you think you're halfway through the film. He goes, that's about the 40 minute mark. So you still got a long ways to go. And that's just because they were able to film more footage of that other stuff that was going on. And they had a lot of interesting things that happened. They had 250 hours of footage, which they had to trim down to yeah. roughly a three hour cut, which includes Steve James doing narration. And he was asked about that. And he said, if he would have not, if he would have not used narration, it would have been a four hour documentary, but they decided to use the narration to move things around along a little more expediently yeah. to keep it at a swelt two hours and 50 minutes. <laughs> so I when people are thinking it's long, but they had two out 250 hours of footage and you have to trim things down. And then you, but you also want to be able to tell the story. And I don't know what else they could have cut, you know, from this, this end product that it was so excellently done, but that, that no, is the the, style no, like I said, it, it, it doesn't feel like three hours, but there's nothing in there that like you're sitting there thinking, okay, I'm, I'm bored or I'm not. I mean, everything in there is, is, relates to what going is going on in the film they, they don't go really too far outside of what william gates and arthur ag and their families are experiencing you know they, they could have gone way off course and talked about the political and social issues of chicago at the time which would have which would have made it you know 25 hours but they, they don't really do that you sense what's going on but you sense it through the eyes of the people participating exactly and uh, and that I also like how with the editing that the team did, 
there are some things they're able to show the contrast with. For instance, <clears throat> when the AG's family loses power, when the electricity is turned off at oh, their yeah. at their residence, um, they're they're showing that, and you're seeing them at a, a low point economically. You know, things are going bad and all that stuff, and they lost the power. And then they edit it over to what's going on with William Gates, and that's when he's going in for the MRI for his knee because that's when he heard yeah. it in his junior year. And you look at it, and you can say to yourself that this is interesting in how you relate to it because one of them has virtually nothing, no no resources at all. It's 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 at the low point. The other one is going through hardship also but it also has resources available to them through St. Joseph's. And the reason they were able to stay at St. Joseph's because they had a sponsor with the one lady who worked mm-hmm. at Encyclopedia Britannica, I believe, if I remember yeah, correct. Yeah, I, I, think, I think she was a, she was the president of the company or whatever, and she did this for a lot of people in the Chicago area. Yeah. A lot of kids in the Chicago area sort of sponsored them. But but I think there's also something else with that as well. If William Gates wasn't considered to be an up-and-coming young basketball player, what if he have gotten the things that he was able to do? And that, that's not a, a knock on William Gates. That, that's, just, that's just the way the situation is. Yeah. And they show that with Arthur Agee about how he's rejected from St. Joseph's. And his mom says, well, you know what, if he was – they thought he was a better basketball player. We wouldn't have these problems. And she was absolutely right. You know, the the movie, the movie plays that out very, very clearly about how it isn't so much the type of people that William Gates type of guys, persons that William Gates and Arthur Agee are, it's what they can do on the basketball court. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's the basic, you know, that's pretty brutal when it comes right down to it, but, but that, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, in our for for those wondering, yeah, he did play there for his freshman year, but they didn't have they they couldn't afford to stay, and that's when he left and went to um, public school, and um, yeah. so on. And then, and then his junior and senior years when he really came into his own as a player, because his sophomore year he was pretty much having issues adjusting and was lost a lot of confidence in himself, but it improved forward, and. I agree with it. It's interesting to see how different people have different things that are available to them at different paths, you know, and it just shows you how people can impact other people's lives is, is one of the things I was getting from. It's like, you know, people are like, Oh, if, if this would have happened this way or that way, who knows where the story would have went. And if you look back at everybody's life, you can see different things that can happen. If this, thing would have, if somebody would have turned left instead of right, they would have saw you first instead of them first. And then you could have been the one that might've had the break. I mean, who knows? Or, but you also have yeah. to have the talent there in order to be able to take advantage of said breaks, just because you have a break available. We've seen it with many things where people have talent, but they don't utilize it. They don't, they don't bottle it up and channel it and make it work for them. And I think that's, that's one of the things I'm not saying it happened in this particular move with these gentlemen, but I think it happens with other people in real life. Yeah. He, the, the whole thing about certain things happening to certain people and, and, you know, certain people not being able to get to the point that they wanted to. The, the interesting thing about this documentary is for the most part, it, it is about sports and most people, when they think of sports movies or sports documentaries, there's always the inspirational ending 
there's always the the victory at the end. This movie doesn't have that. Uh, William Gates and Arthur Agee did not become NBA stars, or they didn't even make it to the NBA. And I'm not saying that they they failed in any way. I mean, uh, you know, I'll talk about this later. They they basically had you know fairly decent lives so far after all of this. But I think the fact that they didn't become big stars actually makes hoop dreams hoop dreams more interesting because if you knew what the ending was going to be, if somebody, you know, if you knew, well, these guys are NBA stars already, you probably wouldn't be interested in, in, in the beginning of the movie or what, what went on before all you, all you, you know, you would have said, okay, I, I know these guys went and made it big. The fact that they didn't make it big, that things didn't work out for them, I think makes the movie far more intriguing because it shows you what goes on in the real world. Uh, there's a great quote from William Gates um, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm probably not going to get the quote exactly right, but he talks about how, you know, when he was in high school playing basketball, people would come up to him and say, Hey, you make it big. Don't forget about me. And his response to that was, okay, if I don't make it big, are you going to forget about me? And that, that, that's always struck me because that that's the other side of it is like, you know, we, we see the sports movies, we see the sports documentaries and it's usually about somebody that has been successful or somebody that's been popular or made a lot of money or made an impact or whatever. What, what happens to the millions and millions and millions of people who play basketball or whatever sport at the high school and the college level and don't make it because to, to make it as a professional athlete, the, the odds are, it's, it's almost like winning the lottery. And so many people put so much, especially lower income families, especially lower income African-American families, with making it through sports and it's just, it's almost impossible to do. And that's why I think the high school coach was rather um, sincere with his expectations when he's meeting with the AG family. And he says to Arthur, you know, if, if you work with me, we do this, if you do academically academics first, you keep your grades up, you do well on the floor, you hear from me for four years you know, I, I can guarantee you that I will get you into the best college that'll fit for you. You know, he doesn't promise them, oh, I'm going to get you to this this um, yeah. top-of-the-line colleges or whatever. I'm going to find out what works best for you and get you to that and get you there that's so it's a good fit for you um, to have the best outcomes in these situations. And that's why I was saying, I think I said earlier, it's like just you go through this – you. Like Earl, I think I brought it up when I was talking about Earl. He wants he wanted to make sure that they got a, the best chance when they had high school, so that way they can get to a good college and get the education they need to improve themselves. His goal was not to always like, oh, I, I found this guy and he's the next NBA player, which I'm sure he would love to be able to say like when he's on the playground. You know, I was I was the one yeah. to help this guy out because it helped him with with those other things. His whole goal it seemed to be was to help improve those players, those young men, so they can get improve themselves and do better down the road. And I think that's really what the message of the movie is about and how in the road they go through. Cause I mean, it is a, it is a tale of two different things. Like Arthur's dad goes into drug addiction. He leaves the mom, the mom loses her job and eventually gets um, the degree as a nursing assistant. And I thought that was interesting again with, when they edit it, because here she has this thing where she gets her nursing assistants and 
you see very few people there celebrating because it's basically the family and the other people that are in the class celebrating her getting it. And then you go to Arthur playing this game with a sold-out auditorium. It's funny that you bring that up because that scene was was something in my mind that I wanted to mention because that that's probably the most moving, poignant scene in the whole movie is when Arthur Agee's mom gets her nursing degree and they have a little celebration, I believe, at, at whatever facility where she was studying at. And, you know, her Arthur Agee's mom's obviously there getting the degree and, and Arthur and the rest of the family, uh, the dad is not there. And anyway... During the ceremony, there's a camera shot. It's from the back of the room. And you see from this viewpoint, you realize there's barely anybody in this room. There's almost nobody there. And this this event is like the most important event in this woman's life. I mean, she's in tears because nobody, you know, she says, you know, nobody thought I could do this. And and it just it just strikes you as, as so poignant that th- this this incredible event for this person is that barely anybody is seeing it. If it wasn't for this film, you know, nobody would even know what actually happened. And it just goes to show you what, what it, well, it, 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 it makes you think about what really is important. Is it a, is it a basketball game or is it the fact that, that this lady who's had so many problems in her life and so many issues and so many struggles is able to get a nursing degree and, and just the, what that means to her and her family personally I mean, that's way, way, way more important than, than a basketball game. So that's why I keep telling people, you know, I, I once again, I bring this up because I know somebody's going to say, well, I don't like basketball. I don't like sports. No, th- this is this is just a, a film. It's a great film. Yes, it, it deals with sports and it deals with basketball, but it deals with life. It deals with America. Even though it was made 30 years ago, I, uh, yeah, next year will be the 30th anniversary of the film. It still it still deals with issues that we we as Americans, you know, put up with you know every single day. Oh, ex- exactly. And I think what's nice about the film, as you summarized already, but you know, I'm going to basically like repeat it, is you get that idea of what's going on, and it's, it's still going on today. Where a lot of times, and people get upset sometimes, like these smaller things that, in the detail, in the scheme of things. And I shouldn't say small, but I mean, that did say the word. But I mean, in, in the worldwide effect or just the city effect or just to the general population, you know, you and I achieve a goal. You know, we, we graduate something, we get something, we get an honor or whatever. It, it matters to our families and, you know, sometimes a little bit of our extended families. But the overall, the general people in our areas are going to be like, oh, we don't know. Where it seems of certain things, whether it's acting sports or things that are done in front of an audience and and they bring people in those are always going to be known more because you have other people seeing it it's there and, and they are and able to appreciate what they did and so it draws more of a crowd as to what's more important or not as we know from following the story her getting her degree being able to support the family being able to get them off of welfare being able to get them taken care of is way more important than him at a basketball game, but yeah. the people in the basketball arena don't know that, you know, the people in the stands, all they know is, is that they're here there to watch a high school game. So they don't know about mm-hmm. the underlying backstory and all these other things. And it's just, it's just intriguing because you don't know what's going on with other people's lives. And I think this story does flesh it out where you get to see this whole backdrop and understand more 
about what's going on. Yeah, I like you like you mentioned it was started out as basically just a street documentary about about young kids playing basketball in Chicago and as as they went on and on and they gained the trust of these families and that was very important because you have to bring this up, even though it might be make people feel uncomfortable. The, the people making this film were basically upper middle class white guys, and they're dealing with you know some of the worst neighborhoods, poverty wise, not just in Chicago but in America. So it was very important that they were able to gain the trust of these families and not come off you know as being exploitative or we're just using these kids or we're just looking down on your your lifestyle. And the, and the movie does not. The movie does not at all exploit them and look down on them. As a matter of fact, I believe that after the the film went through its theatrical distribution, whatever profits Steve James and the guys he worked with got, they shared it with the Gates and the AG families. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, well, we're just using these guys. We're just using them. They actually did share some of the money that they got from that. It didn't make those families independently wealthy, but it certainly helped them and it certainly changed their lives. Yeah, from, what, from what I read, and, I, and of course, you never know when you're reading stuff online how accurate the final total is or whatever. The only person people would know are the, the families themselves and Steve James and yeah. the crew. Um, that each each of the guy, young men got $200,000, but they couldn't receive it until after their college careers were over because NCAA yeah. rules. And, and they also they also had to pay the, the tax bracket of that $200,000 as well because I have the uh, – I just pulled this out. The the criteria you can't see it on a podcast, but the Criterion DVD has like an interview, a uh, 2005 interview with William Gates and Arthur Agee, and, and they didn't realize, oh yeah, we got this money. Oh, we have to pay taxes on it. So yeah, they still got some money, but it wasn't like as, as you know as huge as they, they, they all sorts of their and 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 the other thing is well with that money they basically took care of their families and took care of other people they knew. What, what I'm trying to say is they. That money definitely helped them, but at the same time, did they were they able to just sit around and do nothing for the rest of their lives? No. So, yeah, obviously. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit when we talk about the um, and what happened to him after the movie. And the other thing I want to mention, um, Steve James did bring up in one of his interviews that the power went off. Well, the, 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 when they talked about when we talked about the power going off at the AG family. They did not film this because they didn't want to get themselves like attaboy credit. Like, oh, look, we helped them out. But they, yeah. the crew pitched their money together and came up with funds yeah, yeah. to they, pay they, they for them the, to get out of that situation. Power, yeah. So it's because of the style that they do where you get to know the family. It's like these are your friends and you, this happened. Though they were able to talk. The mom, the mom's name was Sheila, if I remember right, right? I'm not sure. I can't, I can't, I honestly can't remember. Well, I'll say Mrs. A.G. then. And, um, yeah, I believe it was Sheila and they, they talked her into, she didn't want to film them being in that situation. Cause it's embarrassing. Let's look to anybody. Yeah, it, it, power, exactly. it's embarrassing. It, 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 you know, no, no, nobody would want that, you know, but he explained to her that it's important for, to get an idea of what's going on, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. You know, Cause, and she agreed to it. And then, um, when they, they saw the situation again, not, it was not a thing where, Oh, if you let us interview you, we'll put the we'll pay money to get the power back on. That was never yeah, a thing. Yeah, it was after no, a thing they decided to do that. So it was not like, Oh, if you do this for us, we'll get that. It was more, 
uh, once they really, when you sometimes see things, it's the one thing when you hear about it, but it's another thing when you see the situation that some people are in, you, you're more apt to help. And that's why it's, it's nice that these films show us. Like I said, this is not an exploitative film. Um, you, you know, you don't, I mean, you, you hear every so often on the soundtrack rap music, you see kind of, you know, early 90s, uh, you know, fashions and modes and styles, but it, it doesn't envelop, you know, it doesn't come in, in your face with that type of stuff. It, it you know, because I know a lot of people would think, oh, early 90s Chicago, it's about black kids. Oh, it's got to be, you know, rap and gangsters. And those things are talked about and mentioned. But once again, the, the, these kids are not gangster wannabes, okay? They're not, you know, they're not something you'd see in a music video. They're human beings. And uh, once again, I don't care where you come from or where what your background is or whatever. If you watch the movie, you're, you're going to start to understand it and, and feel for these guys. And, and to tie that on, there is a storyline that's going on with Arthur, and I think it's his friend Shannon. Yes. And um, where they're working at Pizza Hut, they're, they're like, and this is when during the public school years, uh, I think it's the junior year, senior, and they're, they're good friends, but then Shannon um, goes for the easy money in his mind, you know, like, mm-hmm. and he takes the path of the drug culture. And eventually, Arthur just cuts ties with him. And, and it just shows that you, you can make those choices, you know, and uh, I've, I, I grew up in Baltimore City, and I had friends that, went into stuff like that and yeah you know, and you just have to learn okay uh, you, you know you're still like friendly with them but they're no longer like your friend friends you know and that kind of stuff yeah if you saw each other on the street you would say hi and you'd say your niceties but you just you just knew it's okay i gotta avoid hanging with that person because that's going to take me down a path i don't want to go and i got to give arthur credit for realizing that because you know he could have went that path and he decided no i'm going to stay on the path he was on you know for the movie and uh, i think you know it's one of those things that's just showing you that yes they were going through a lot of financial hardships and other troubles but he was able to keep his moral compass well i i give that is credit to arthur ag obviously but but william and william gates i mean i i had problems growing up i mean everybody does but i mean the problems that these two went through i mean you you can imagine i mean just just living in in the west side of the southwest southwest side of chicago which is if anything might even be worse today uh just, just all the things going on the the stuff going on the the family problems having to go to school uh, playing basketball, the expectations that are put on these guys, um, you know, what these guys went through is, is just insane when you think about it. And uh, you're just amazed that they were able to, to turn out as basically decent, become decent men, you know, okay, maybe they didn't become NBA stars or famous, or maybe they didn't become rich and wealthy, but that, that, that's not the point. The point is, you know, it, it could have easily gone very wrong for either of them. And that, that's the thing about the people, you know, Steve James, the people made this film, they didn't know what was going to happen. They had no idea, uh, you know, people sometimes look at documentaries, oh, it was shaped a certain way, it was edited a certain way. Okay, yeah, but they, they trust me, they had no idea how this story was going to turn out, none. So c- considering all the things that happened in the film and and how William Gates and Arthur Agee turned out, you, you could say, well, they didn't make it, but in a way – Maybe they did make it. Maybe they made it in a different way than, than what people would assume, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
I, I think they did make it, you know, because like I said earlier, their goal was to improve themselves and get themselves into a better situation than they were when they, than their families were. And I think they both were able to achieve that to an extent. And I think that's, so I think if that, it defines how, it depends how you define making it, but I think of it as yes, and then I think they still are. But when you use the word insane, I find insane, totally insane. This movie, which in a lot of different um, lists of documentaries, is either listed number one or in the top five of documentaries of all time. I mean, it's either number yeah. one or worst number five not being even nominated. That's right, folks. Not even nominated for best documentary of the year, the year it came out. A movie that was critically acclaimed, a box office hit. Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel loved this movie back when they saw it before it was even on the festival circuit and were promoting it and wanted it to be getting a, theater, a theatrical release. And to get you an idea is what, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert felt you're going to hear a clip of them later on in this episode with them talking about that, how much they love this movie. But I can't believe the Academy didn't do it. And from what I understand from reading it, and I think it was Roger Ebert that somehow found sources or whatever, they were doing a flat, they were doing a, a screening of it for the voters and something about they used flashlights and if you didn't like the, if you did if you didn't like the movie and you wanted to stop it, you'd shine a flashlight on the screen. And when they saw a lot of light hitting the screen, a lot of flashlights hitting being shown on the, the screen, they would stop the movie. And supposedly the movie was stopped twenty minutes into its run, so they never even saw the whole thing. And I think it goes back to the thing: documentaries were just because it was different. I guess maybe in another documentaries that are nominated. I'd have to look to see what movies were nominated that year, but this happened to other documentaries too in the prior years, but because of this, and I think it happened the following year, they changed the the system of how they nominate documentary movies. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's just crazy to me how they did it. And also you had people when they did the cards, they would, those, there are people that would put, for the five movies they wanted to see nominated, they would give tens. And then for all the other movies, they would give them zeros. And if enough people did that, it would influence the vote also. So there was another yeah, thing yeah, that was yeah. going on. So there was a lot of craziness. Yeah, I yeah, I, I've I've heard that story about the flashlight story and and and, and you know, that's why all, all these awards I, I just I just take with a grain of salt. I mean, I think it's you know, a bunch of but I'm glad you brought up Cisco Niebuhr because I was going to talk about that. Because for the first time I, I didn't see this film in the theater because I'm pretty sure it probably didn't even play in South Bend. I mean, I don't think it really got that much of a uh, theatrical release. I think it was more in the big cities, more in the art house, you know, college circuit because it got so much critical acclaim. But the first time I heard about it was Siskel and Ebert. And, and some of your viewers, younger view, I mean, younger listeners of this podcast, they may not even know who Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert are or were, but they were they had their own syndicated you know, movie review show on public television stations in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. And they, they, at that time, they were the most influential movie critics in America for good or for worse, depending on your point of view. And they both were based in Chicago. I believe Siskel worked for a, 
the Chicago Tribune. I think Ebert worked for the Sun-Times. And obviously, this being a Chicago film, this movie meant a lot to them, and they really, really hyped it up. They really went out of their way to give this this movie a boost, which I think was great, because usually Siskel and Ebert wouldn't do that. And I think they they understood what Steve James was trying to do. They understood it was a Chicago story. They they worked in Chicago media. They worked in Chicago newspapers. They knew what was going on in the city at the time, and they realized you know, how great this film covered all of that. And they went out of their way to, to draw attention to it. Like I said, that's the first time I heard about it. And I believe that for 1994, both Siskel and Eber picked this as the movie of the year. And I saw it uh, on public television. And, you know, a lot of times on public TV, when they show something, they'll repeat it later on during the week. So I think that week I, I saw it like, two or three times, or I saw parts of it, then I would, you know, they would show it later on at a certain time of the day, I'd see the other part of it. So, and I, I was just like, once again, I'm a sports guy. I live like 90 minutes away from Chicago. So it's not like I'm, I'm not a Chicago citizen, but I've been there enough times to know, you know, what, what's, you know, what's going on in the city and in the, you know, how things are in the city. So I, yeah, I, I totally, you know, got, got the film and got into it. And, um, yeah, it, it was really almost not not so much a grassroots campaign because Cisco and Eber were very popular at the time, but they they used that in a in a in a positive way, and it makes me wonder if it wasn't for Cisco and Ebert, I, I think I think eventually this film would have gotten an audience, it would have gotten the critical acclaim, but I mean definitely it was because of them that that the film really really took off, and like I said, it's 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 one of Criterion's releases, it, and like you said, it's considered one of the greatest. American film documentaries, anyway, of all time. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's either it's either number one or the top five. It's in virtually every list that I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's out there. And for it not to get nominated for an Oscar is just is just one of those things, like you said, that makes you wonder about all the nominations and all the other things. Well, I I, I bet you any I bet you any amount of money, Steve, if you named. The, the movies that were nominated for Best Documentary in 1994, I'd have no, I would have never heard of those movies. Probably nobody even cares about those movies. Once again, it, it shows you, it, it's not the awards that a movie wins, it, 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 it how people remember it and how people react to it, how people respond to it over time. You know, the the awards, I mean, yeah, that looks nice on the poster, but in the end, you know, that, that doesn't really mean anything. Oh I, oh, I agree. Oh, I agree. And it's just, I mean, it's nice. Doesn't doesn't buy doesn't pay for meals at the house, you know, to have a statue or something yeah. sitting there, and that kind of stuff. It's just it, it but it is nice when you get an, an honorific and that kind of thing. But it's I, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I it had been on my radar since it came out. I remember because I, I live in the Baltimore area, you know, and uh, so of course Baltimore, you know, big sports area, you know, basketball, yeah. all that stuff going on. So it it actually played. And I remember seeing the trailers for it on TV and, um, and that kind of thing. And I was like, Oh, this, this seems like interesting. And, uh, but it never, it never, it's one of those movies that's on your radar, which happens with a lot of movies. You know, you, there's only so much time that you could fit in to see movies and there's movies yeah. that are on your radar, but that you never get a chance to see it when it was out. And this is of course for listeners. This is before I didn't have cable or any of that stuff. This is, uh, so I, I didn't see it until Dan picked it. And I was able to, you know, watch it streaming and that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, 
I because when you said hoop dreams, I was like, oh, I've been always meaning to watch this movie, but never took the opportunity. And I will say, I never knew how long it was until I was like seeing the thing. I was like, holy cow, this thing's almost three hours long. And and I will say, there there are people like Oppenheimer is at as we're talking, and there's people saying it's it's a three hour movie. Oh, this is this is forever, but it's it's not documentaries and. Um, fictional movies are two different entities and you know yes yes you still have to sit through them and everything and i think with this particular movie because the way it is broken up um, where it goes over each like academic year so to speak you know the freshman year sophomore year junior senior you can do it as dan did when he was watching on pbs you can watch up to a certain segment so yeah so if you're like a little worried like oh this is a lot for me to sit through well you can do the first like 40 minutes That'll take you up through the sophomore years, and then you can do the junior year, then the senior year. Um, you know, so you could make it a multi-part documentary if, on your own if you want. It shouldn't be that tough to do, um, just by paying attention to what's going on. Because the filmmakers do a great job, especially the last two years, because they have so much more footage to utilize um, to to get into. And I think that junior year is really when it gets at that 40 minute mark, when it goes to that junior year, when you're able to use that footage and get that more of that trust with the families and everybody's more relaxed about what's going on. That's really when it takes off to the high, the highest of heights for me, you know, it's when it gets in that hour, when that, that, that 50 minute hour mark is when it hits its sweet spot. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I, I've never seen it actually in a theater, but honestly, I think it plays better on home video because I think it's more of an intimate experience. It, it's in 1.33 aspect ratio. It was filmed on video cameras, which at the time, that was that was very unique. I mean, now people make movies on, on their iPhone. But back then, you know, considering it was supposed to be a major documentary, you know, and then, you know what, that might have had something to do with the whole Oscar thing. Like, oh, they just filmed it on video cameras. Well, the reason they did that, number one, they, they couldn't afford a huge camera crew. I think Peter Gilbert was literally the entire camera crew. And it, it was just a matter of cost. And number two, when you're, you're shooting any type of documentary, especially something as intimate and, and, and close as that, you know, you're not worried about big, giant action sequences. You're in inner city Chicago. You're, you just need to get access. You, you, you don't have time to set up, you know, a fantastic looking shot. You know, you, you just don't have the time or the opportunity to do that. And I, and, I, and I think now, obviously, I don't think the video cameras are, are that big of a deal. This, this, is, this is not a documentary that is about style. It's, it's more about substance. And there's a lot of documentaries that I've seen where you can tell the filmmakers are, are way more worried about how it looks and how it sounds and, and the editing. And, and I get that. I mean, it, no matter what you do, if you are a creative person, whatever style you have or you don't, or you don't even realize you have, it's going to come out in whatever you make. But the, the, the Hoop Dreams is not about, oh, look how great this movie looks or how it, how it sounds or how great the editing is. It, it's all about story. And I think that's why I love it so much. And I think movies, like books, like everything, if the story is there, that will stick with you forever. You know, where there's been many movies that I've seen where it's, like a fireworks display. You're just like, wow, ooh, yeah. wow, ooh. And you think about, man, that was great. And then a, a week later, you really just remember, oh, I had a good you, time. You don't, you don't even remember what was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I'll tell you, Steve, that 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 experience is something I've been having in the last 20 years, it seems. Every time I go see a movie, it's like I'll see it, and like a week later, I don't even remember what happened in that movie. Yeah, or, or you'll remember just maybe a scene or two, and it's usually the scene or two that has the human relationship part that of the yeah. story, and that's just that's the part that has the staying power, the sticking power. And this movie has the storylines, um, it goes through and it's just like we I think it's well said it's well crafted well edited and so on and it follows the the guys from the end of their um, um, eighth grade year you know basically through the high school into their first year of college so it follows them over a good part of their journey uh, following their hoop dreams and everything else that's going on with life I mean it, it, and and the things that affect them like with William we talked. We haven't talked a lot about him, but he had the injury with his leg and how that was going to affect him. We see that he gets to go to Marquette um, and that kind of thing. And it, but then, of course, he ends up having a child, um, you know, so that affects him, you know, because it's like all, you know, all the stressors going on with school and, and raising a, a, a child and that kind of thing. And Arthur going through his um, economic emotional upheavals with his family and eventually goes to um, community college and, yeah. um, and and so on. But where did he end up? One of the things I wanted to, uh, that we wanted to discuss is like what happened to him after the camera stopped rolling? Well, well William Gates, I believe he did get his degree at Marquette. He did play some basketball there. He, he got injured again. Um, he actually, there's a story in the, uh, the liner notes for the criterion uh, DVD version of Hoop Dreams. He was actually thinking of making a comeback in the early 2000s, and he, he he got to know Michael Jordan. He was working out with Michael Jordan when Michael Jordan was was planning his comeback, and Michael Jordan actually set him up, I believe, uh, with the Wizards for a tryout, and he got injured, <laughs> and he was never able to go back and, and play basketball again. I believe he's a pastor now. And, you know, his, his basic is his life basically revolves around his family. He's got some kids. I, I believe he married the young woman that he had a child with in the film. I believe they're, they're still married and they, they raised a family and he's, he's basically just doing community work. Uh, Arthur Agee, um, he wound up at Arkansas state, which, uh, not, not the, you know, the biggest college basketball program in the world, but he, he wound up being a starter there and he actually played a little bit in Europe, but he never really, you know, got into the big time. Uh, he's been trying to do some business ventures and things like that, but for the, you know, and, and one thing I will point out is both William and Arthur had, uh, horrible personal traumas or tragedies. After this film, uh, William's brother, Curtis, who's featured in the film, was shot and killed. Arthur's father, who was featured in the film, was also shot and killed later on after the film. They were victims of Chicago gun violence, which, unfortunately, is probably even worse today than it was back in the 1990s. It was a huge problem in the 1990s. So it's, you know, it, it's one of those things where their their lives are still, unfortunately, being affected by the the neighborhoods that they grew up in. Yeah, and and just to tail on to tag on what you said with William Gates, he got a degree in communications at Marquette, and then when he got a second degree in Bi a Bible degree at Moody Bible Institute. So I mean, here he went from a person who barely qualified 
Yeah. On, to get into college for the um, the testing, you know, they had to, it basically was rounded up, so he made it in. But yeah. yet he got not one, but two degrees eventually. You know, mm-hmm. so it's just it just goes to show you, you know, once he learned how to, with the proper tools and resources, was able to acquit himself very well. And then, as you said, um, was a pastor. I'm not sure if he's still a pastor now, but, I mean, you know, from what I've read, you know, he was a pastor and things like that and was really helping his community and um, four children, three boys and the one girl and um, and that kind of thing. So, he's, he's, you know, he's really, I think, done well for himself. And like you said with Arthur, it's just – He's he's always he's, he was trying to do like this hoop dreams clothing line or something. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I that think that, that, that should have came out back when the movie came out. I mean that that yeah, thing was yeah, way late. <laughs> yeah, I, like you know most most kids probably don't you know the, the 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 people that he was marketing that to probably didn't even have no idea what the film. And you know how young people are. If it didn't happen five minutes ago, they don't, don't care. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand, you know, he, I mean, obviously he's trying to do something and, and I you know, appreciate that. I understand that. I understand his whole point, but yeah, that's, you know, I don't know how far that went. Hopefully he didn't lose too much money off of it. Well, not only, not only young people, something that you're talking about just being almost 30 years ago and you're talking about five minutes ago, but it's also a documentary and you're not usually bringing in the high school yeah, crowd yeah, to documentaries. It's, it's, uh, it, it's unless they're forced to watch it in school. I think like supersize me. I know in um, our school system, everybody has to watch the documentary supersize me. Um, at least that's what my children tell me. I'm not sure what it is in other school systems, but it's part of their health class thing where they got to watch uh, that. So hoop dreams. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's a requirement, but it would be, I think a movie that would be shown in film schools. If somebody's going to be inspired yeah. filmmaker, especially because a lot of people go into the documentary mindset I think this is one that should be shown there, but then you're talking about to a smaller group of young people being exposed to it, but also being exposed to other classic films. And I consider this a classic film, a classic documentary. Yeah. Well, I have a friend, uh, Paul Lysen. Uh, he's a documentarian. Um, he made a film called Without Charity about a triple murder in uh, Lakeville, Indiana, which I highly recommend, by the way. And he and I, you know, we're both film geeks. We have discussions about documentaries and stuff all the time. And and one of the things that bugs him and bugs me that there's a lot of documentaries where the documentarian is the star of the film instead of the story. There's a certain guy, I don't want to name him, but you probably can figure out who I already know who you're talking about. about. Every, <laughs> every poster, he's on the poster. Every the, the movie is not about any particular story. It's about his, you know, his his um of viewpoints really but that's his stick you know that's his thing and then i'll give him credit he's he's become very successful more far more successful than 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 quote unquote real documentarians but but once again that just kind of shows you um how, how do you define a document documentary i mean i i if somebody said okay dan what what is your idea of, of a great documentary film i would obviously say hoop dream because it it, it, it tells you a story, but it, it allows you to look at the story from your own point of view. It doesn't force anything down your throat. And uh, something else I was wondering, because I knew this talk was coming up, you know, I mentioned uh, next year is going to be the 30th anniversary of the film. And I wonder now, 
if somebody tried to make Hoop Dreams 2024, could they even pull it off? Because, you know, you're, you're talking about two white guys, or, or basically the filmmakers were white guys going into these Chicago communities, these African-American Chicago communities. And you wonder, as politicized as things are these days, you know, is somebody going to say, oh, you shouldn't have a white person making this movie, which I, I, I just think that's ridiculous. I think, you know, to me, if you're a creative person, that shouldn't stop you from making any type of story or telling any type of story. But you just wonder, would they be able, you know, if you try to do a Hoop Dreams today, and, the, and here's something else that I'm thinking about, you know, when you watch this movie, you, you don't, you don't notice it because you're so en engrossed in the film. You, you don't, it doesn't strike you, but I remember the last time I did watch it, no internet, no cell phones, no social media. You, you have kids actually reading newspapers, which I mean, today would be like, what, what's it? But I mean, that, that's the way it was. And of course you and I lived during that era. So it doesn't really bother us, but I mean, it, it, it's almost impossible now to frame anything involving young people without that social media context. And, and that, that's, that's the great thing about Hoop Dreams. It, it shows you what, what life was like because now, not just for young people, for everybody. I mean, social media is just so ingrained in, in our everyday lives. And, and I mean, look, look what you and I are doing right now, you know? So, but it just shows you that, yes, there was a world where young people actually existed and they weren't worrying about checking their, their phone every 30 seconds. It's kind of funny you brought up about the phone. The reason there was no film shot of, or I should say video shot, of Arthur leaving St. Joseph's was because they had no phone or something, according to Steve James. And he had to, his way to keep in touch with the family was when he went and visited them. And because yeah. this was like that, that freshman, sophomore year when he had no real money, so he only mm -hmm. had 25 days of filming for those two years, is when he visited them, that's when it was already done. Like, he was already gone and out. So that's why you don't see any shots of him, like, leaving the school or his last day at the school. Or It's just, it was one of those things that happened in between where if they would have had the money up front, that could have changed things. Um, you know, it, it, but it was just, you know, it's interesting how people don't even have a concept. They had no phone. <laughs> so they had no exactly, way yeah. of getting the hold. And that's just, and nowadays you got people like, if you don't respond to my message and as soon as I send it, there's something wrong with you or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to call the cops in the local hospitals, you know, and, and no, I, I, once again, I, you know, you and I, we lived during those days. I mean, that, you know, that wasn't all that uncommon back in those days. I mean, now it, it just, it's just totally unbelievable. But, but once again, um, the, the narration, which I think is very important. You talked about how they were thinking about not having the narration. I think the narration was solely needed because it, 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 it fills in the gaps that they weren't able to cover, but it gives you some background on, on, on what is going on. And, and kind of, uh, once again, with a three hour movie, there are times where you forget certain things and you forget where you're at at times. So I think the, the narration is, is definitely needed for this. There's some documentaries you don't need a narration. There's some documentaries where the narration is, is intrusive. It's just annoying. It, it, and I think, from a lot of documentaries, the narration is used to kind of convince you to, to think or, or, you know, react a certain way. This is, this is an informative documentary. It, it, it's not meant to, you know, 
make you go down a certain path. And then, but it is, it's, it's a narration that is needed is what I'm saying. And it's not, I believe it was Steve James. It wasn't like a, a, a famous actor or a famous performer, which is always good because it makes you, it makes it more real. Interesting. You bring that up in, in that interview that I've watched to his, he, he said that they were thinking of getting a more famous or more professional narrator. Yeah. But that the other guy said, no, 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 it should stay you um, because you're forgettable. You know, and that's the thing. He, he said it's the best thing because you don't want to be remembering me. And he said, mm-hmm. he said, when people come back and they talk about the film later on, he said if he achieved his goal, if nobody remembers that he did narration. Because there's people that exactly. like a year or two later don't even remember there was narration in it at all, but they remember mm-hmm. the stories. And he said, that's exactly. when I know he achieved his goal because he's just there just dropping little pieces to keep the story moving because they, for, for like I said, a two hour and 50 minute movie to be concise. <laughs> but like you mm-hmm. said, there's 250 hours of footage. So, you know, it was, it was, a, it's a, a small, per, small percent of what they actually filmed is what we see. And that just goes to the, the, the greatness of the editing the, the, the deafness of their hands of creating this movie and this work to, to sit there. And it's just, it's just amazing to me. No, a, a celebrity voiceover would not have worked. It, it, it just would not have, you know, the, the whole point is the, the movie is very insulated within, you know, these two young men and their families and the war and that environment and, and a, a, cele- a celebrity you know, even if it was, say, an African-American celebrity, I still don't think it would have worked because it would have just taken you out of that. And the fact that the actual director of the film is narrating it, it, makes it it's almost like an audio commentary in a way. But it's, it, it makes it more real, I guess, more grittier, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. There's no sense of artifice to it, if I can be a... Um, a sound ponderous, but he, yeah, it, it, a celebrity, a celebrity narrator would not have worked at all. And it would have cost them a lot more money and they probably didn't, couldn't have afforded it. Oh, I, I agree. And I'm, I'm going to thank you for picking this movie because again, I've been wanting to watch it for a long time. <laughs> it's like I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were able to, and, and I, I recommend it to anybody like anybody who just loves film who just, it, it's an American story. I mean, yes, it's about sports. It's about basketball. It's about a, a certain group of people and a certain economic class in Chicago. And some people might say, well, I don't live around there. I don't, you know, I'm not, I, I don't have any experience with that. Well, that's probably the reason why you should watch it. Cause it, it, it does make you think about things. It makes you think about your own life makes you realize you're, you're not, things aren't as bad as you think they may be. Uh, the struggles that other people go through, the struggles of people that you may not interact with very much, that you may take for granted, for example. And and just as a sports fan, you know, as a sports fan, and I am one, a huge one, you know, I go to games all the time, and they, or I'll watch a game, and I'm like, why did this guy do this? Why did this guy do this? This guy's an idiot. It, I do it all the time. I'll probably be doing it tonight and tomorrow night. But th- this movie makes you realize that the people that do play these sports – even the ones that get paid millions of dollars and these guys weren't, but you, you go to, you go to literally games, you see parents and fans yelling at, at, at the, at the participants. And it, 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 it puts things on a human perspective, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
And for listeners, obviously we both recommend you watch this movie. It is readily available as, as we're recording this on virtually every streaming platform. YouTube, yeah. Pluto, Tubi, Peacock, tons of them. Which so. shows, it, it shows how acclaimed it really is because if it wasn't as acclaimed as it was, you, you, you know, most documentaries don't get on these streaming platforms at all. And it's for free. On all those, you don't have to pay anything to see them. And then it's and, and some of the ones you do pay for, it's also on those, um, like Max yeah. and so on. So it's, if you want to watch it, it is readily available to do. And like I said, like I said, you can watch it all one sitting or you can do it in a couple sittings, whatever. You know what works best for you and do what works best for you in that way. And Dan, we talked about the Hitless Wonder blog. How can people find the blog? Oh, it's uh, Dan Day Jr. 35, blogspot.com. If you just type in the Hitless Wonder movie blog, I'm sure it'll take you to it. I don't think there's anybody else using that name. Uh, I don't really do just one type of film. I mean, yeah, it's usually horror films, science fiction films, whatever strikes my fancy. Um, it's not the, the greatest written blog in the world, but, you know, it, I, I try to keep my blog post uh, pretty concise so you don't have to worry about, oh, I got to spend 10 minutes reading this because I realize when people read something on the Internet, they usually have a tendency to skim through it. So if you, if you try to just give too much information, it's just going to, you know, drive people crazy. I, I try to keep it fun and light. Uh, it's not a... It's not a film textbook. It's it's just I'm just a I, I have no um, shall we say intellectual background in, in cinema history. I'm just a guy I like I like I like watching and talking about movies. So, and how many years have you been doing the blog now? You've been doing it for quite a while. I started doing it in 2012. Believe it or not, I'm over a thousand blog posts, which is I, I just can't believe I wrote that many of those things. So, listeners, um, you know it's out there. Go seek it out. Um, Dan is a very knowledgeable as a film enthusiast. Um, neither one of us ever claimed to be experts in anything with film, but we just, we know what we like when we see it and we like to talk about things that we like and enjoy so that way other people can go seek it out. And this is one that yes, a lot of people at a certain time would know about it, but I think, you know, it's been almost 30 years. Uh, it's, people should go seek it out again and revisit it because as you brought up, there's a lot of people that are probably in their twenties that never even heard of hoop dreams. And hopefully they'll listen to this and be like, Oh yeah, let me go watch this or other people like myself that were like, it was on their back of their mind to watch, but they, they forgot about it. And hopefully this will remind them, Hey, now's the time. Go see it. It's out there. It's easy to watch, easy to do. We both highly recommend it. Do it. Yeah, and and once again, it's just just great American storytelling, and and it's real, and um, that that's that's the best way to sum it up. And Dan, I want to thank you again. You've picked two winners for me back to back. Now, Dune, <laughs> you know the 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 earlier version, and of course the um, and, and Hoop Dream. So you so you're two out of two. So that's a that's a good percentage, one hundred percent. And I'm, I'm going to thank you, and I'm sure we'll have you back on the show again because you and I are going to roll the dice after we're done recording, and we'll see what genre you get to pick from this time. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll come on here anytime. And for listeners, um, we'd love to hear your feedback. Send it to us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave me a message on the Facebook page. 
You know, Dan and I would love to hear what you guys thought of Hoop Dreams when you saw it. And as I said earlier, we're going to exit the show listening to two film experts talk about Hoop Dreams with Siskel and Ebert, you know, and um, talk about it when what they thought. It's a few minutes long, so I hope you enjoy that. And um, you can always find out more about their old reviews that are on YouTube also. So if you, if you want to find out more about those that have never heard about Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, it's a lot of stuff is readily available on YouTube. And that'll help you find those films that were hidden gems to you now, but weren't hidden gems back in the day. Derek Zimmerman's layup pushes Marshall to a one-point lead. Moments later, a Westinghouse foul, and then a double technical puts Arthur on the line with a chance to ice the victory. That's a young man named Arthur Agee there at a key moment in a key game in his senior year in high school in a wonderful new documentary named Hoop Dreams. And you may remember that we first talked about this movie way last January on this show. We right. saw a special preview here in Chicago before it went on to conquer every film festival, Sundance, Toronto, New York. And uh, we reviewed it early because we wanted to, to say how good it was well, and call the, attention to yeah, it. The reason we wanted to call attention to it is we were hoping it would get a theatrical release, which it is now getting nationwide. And that's what it deserves. This is an extraordinary film that covers six years in the lives of two talented inner-city kids from grade school to the first year in college as they dream of someday becoming basketball stars. As the movie opens, Arthur is being recruited by a Chicago suburban basketball powerhouse, St. Joseph High School. I, I can't promise you where you're going to go and if you're going to be a star, but I guarantee that I would help you get into the school that would be best for you. Arthur knows he's following in the steps of another inner-city Chicago kid, Isaiah Thomas, who also went to St. Joseph's and went on to become a legend in the pros. In everybody's neighborhood, there's a guy who can really play. He shoots the lights out every time down court. Then he goes to St. Joseph High School, and the guy gets cut. Say, Tom was real good. Why did he get cut? See, Tom and learn the fundamentals of team basketball, which is what you're learning how to play. The other subject of the film is another talented young man, William Gates, who is also recruited by St. Joseph's and gets lots of offers when he becomes a high school All-American. Any school you name. Dreams is one of those rare film experiences where you simply forget yourself and sit there totally involved in the incredible drama of what's happening. You may think you don't want to see a film about the inner city or about basketball, or you don't want to see a three-hour documentary about anything. But please forget those preconceptions. Hoop Dreams is a great film, and you owe it to yourself to see it. Oh, I think it's wonderful, as we've talked about uh, earlier this year. And what I love is, and we must remember, the filmmakers who yeah. had this idea. And I love when filmmakers have the courage to say, you know what? We're going to spend a whole bunch of time tracking people's lives. Mm -hmm. Here, we're following kids for six years. And of course, their lives are and what's, full of drama. What's remarkable, they started out to make a 30-minute documentary about these eighth graders and yes. they realized no we're stuck with these guys for the long run and they made 250 hours of film yes. about these two kids and the result of that is they have all of these incredibly dramatic moments and there are twists I'm in the story 
that no. if they were in a fiction film, you'd say, that's too incredible. It's just, it's an exhilarating and, experience. And, and the bottom line is that you want, I, I, when I saw this picture and we, we take them up to college first year. Yes, we do. I had one thought, and people are going to have the same thought. I wonder how they're playing now. I wonder what they're no. doing now. And, and you know what I found out? They're both still in college.